What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to, lots to talk about. Had an interesting afternoon thinking about my grandfather. Uh, My grandfather who dropped out of school after the eighth grade, uh, went to work shoveling coal off the back of a coal truck for 17 cents an hour uh, back during the, during the the middle of the depression uh, to be able to put, well, food on the table, a roof over the head, uh, steal some coal to keep the, the house warm. told stories about how difficult life was never complained uh, was it was a guy who worked his entire life worked worked his worked himself you know into the grave to be honest and and I, I, I thought about him today because I saw this story from Indiana and again it's, it's this weird moment uh, my grandfather his family came from Indiana uh, they were thrown off a reservation uh, in Indiana and ended up in Ohio uh, where he uh, he was born and um, lived in poverty as a kid. And, you know, long story, really, really short, uh, because of his hard work, because of uh, the labor movement, because of, of unions, was able to to lead a solid middle-class existence that I fear in this day and age, not possible. It's It's literally impossible to recreate his life, I believe. A man who had an eighth grade education, uh, worked worked every day of his life, worked very hard. Uh, but I don't know that that it's it's replicable in today's in today's world. Uh, but hey, we've got some conservatives, some Republicans who think, hey, Indiana, uh, maybe maybe we could maybe we can go back a hundred years. Maybe we can go back to the good old days uh, when when Rick's grandfather dropped out of high school because State Representative Joanne King. 
who represents Indiana's 49th state representative seat there. Uh, Republican, of course, uh, evidently has introduced a piece of legislation that would allow 14-year-old children to drop out of school and become farm laborers. Yeah, go work on that industrial farm. Don't worry about school. You can do it during the day. While other kids are in school getting an education, you can be out there working on the farm. Now, here's the thing. Uh, the story is that, as I understand, it's already happening. Uh, this is just making it legal because they're already breaking the law. Uh, Indiana's already got a problem with child labor, as we have across this country, because the enforcement, really, really not there. And as we've been seeing, nationally, uh, child labor law violations have been have been surging. And I think it's more that we've been we've been catching it, more that the administration's been looking for it. But also, I think, you know, hey, you know, we need cheap labor. Corporate America, you know, their their drug of choice, cheap labor. Uh, but child labor violations were up 50% in 2023. And you look at the Republican states that are loosening child labor restrictions. It's it's quite it's quite amazing. And and look, I've I've heard all of the arguments. And I'm I'm not buying them. And the weird thing for me is, you know, I was thinking about my grandfather, and I was thinking about you know the fact that he worked hard, as as parents do, and I, I do this with my kids. You know, I want them to be better than than I am. I want them to have an easier life. I don't want them to have to, to work as hard. I want them to get a better education, have better opportunities. We as parents, that's that's a given. And he did as well. And to him, education was an important thing. To now see us going backward, I think would hurt him. And that generation as a whole, to be honest. Uh, you know, I was I was just thinking about it. You know, we were in over the holiday, we were in Costa Rica. And one of the, the guy who would give us a tour uh, in Costa Rica, the one thing that I took from the entire day we spent with him um, was the fact that here was a guy who was so incredibly proud of the fact that they have free education. They have free education for as far as you can go. And to him, this was this was the greatest thing. They were taking kids out of out of the fields, taking kids out of the banana fields, taking kids out of work, and and making sure that they were getting an education. And, you know, as my mind was going, I was thinking, you know, this is the sign of a developing country, a developing country going, hey, um, we want to get better. We want long term investments instead of short term gains. Because one of the arguments for allowing a developing country to, to have cheap labor, child labor, is that it stifles economic growth. You know, prevents families from, you know, being able to get, get that, that little set of hands in there to do some extra labor and bring some money into the household, maybe get them out of poverty. You know, by allowing those kids to go into the workforce, yeah, never mind that education. They can get that later. You're going to bring some income in. It's going to contribute to the overall economic health of the family and, and the development of the country because more, more, more GDP, it's good for the country. Except now you, when those kids grow up, they're not going to have the skills that they would have had had they an education. Uh, the other argument they make is in places, you know, in, in developing places, you know, it's their culture. You know, children are expected to work. It's the culture. 
<laughs> you know, they're on the verge of starving. It's the culture. It's the culture to expect young children to, to provide their own food. And how dare we impose our Western-style child labor laws on their, 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 their practices and traditions? And the weird thing is, is now we're now going backwards. And I look at all of these Republican states that have gone after and, and loosened restrictions. It's, it's quite remarkable. This Indiana thing is just the latest. I mean, Iowa's part of it, Florida, Arkansas. You go down the list of Republican-led states that have attacked child labor, and you just go, where are we going? Oh, yeah, we need cheap labor. And, and they always use the same arguments. Well, you know, you know, we're providing valuable, valuable work experience, teaching kids important skills. You know, like being responsible and time management and the value of you know, hard work, what, it's, what it means to earn a dollar. You know, and it's going to help those families. You know, it's going to help them, you know, make, make ends meet. Instead of going, hey, you know, maybe, maybe we could teach those kids about responsibility and, and about ethics and about other, in, a, in a different way. Instead of putting them in dangerous jobs and working long nights, long hour nights where they should be doing their homework. Uh, maybe we shouldn't have them out there competing with mom and dad for jobs that end up lowering wages. Maybe maybe we should take them out of the workforce, raise wages a little bit so mom and dad can afford to, to keep a roof over that. I don't know. Maybe just a thought. Understand, protecting our children should be the top priority in all of this. And any any perceived or potential benefits that they throw out pale in comparison to the risks that, that are posed by, by putting kids into dangerous jobs. But here's the thing, and, and this is the part that really infuriates me. These aren't going to be just any kids. These are going to be poor kids. And we know how much Republicans hate poor people, especially poor children. We see the policies that they attempt to move by taking food out of the mouths of children. So is it surprising to us by in any any way, shape, or form? Is it surprising to us that we would exploit them by putting them into dangerous jobs, working long hours? No, not at all. Is it would it surprise us that they would want them to be like my grandparents' generation? Eighth grade education is good enough. Is this the future? Now, again, I use my, my example of the, the, the gentleman I met in Costa Rica. There's a country that's, that's developing, that's getting better, that's looking for the future, looking for better opportunities down the road. Does this mean that we're in decline? Does that mean that we're going in the opposite direction? That we need to use what resource we have now instead of investing in the future and ensuring that, that those children have an opportunity? The weird thing is, is when, when, when I spoke with Eddie in Costa Rica, he was talking about the Nicaraguans coming in to do the work in the fields. They were bringing immigrants in and they were educating the immigrants' children and how proud he was of the fact that they were educating a generation of, of, of these children. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, look, I'm not against work, not against kids working, uh, doing respectable. You know, look, I cut, cut grass as a kid. I shoveled snow. I, I worked, you know, all kinds of all kinds of jobs. But when you're talking about, you know, 
opening it up to the Wild West, putting kids into dangerous jobs. I have a problem with that. When you're talking about putting it in a situation where parents then have to decide between, hey, you know, because they're, they're arguing it's a parental rights issue. Well, when you're talking about desperate parents, you've got problems here. So I have a huge problem with the direction we're going as a country and the fact that we don't have the oversight on the federal level over these states that we should to protect these kids. I fear what 2024 brings us. If child labor violations were up 50% in 2023, what's the new year going to bring us? I am not I am not hopeful. But I want to hear your thoughts. Is this a good idea, bad idea? Are you in favor of loosening restrictions so kids can work the overnight shift at the local mall or the lo- local fast food joint or the local kill floor of the of the slaughterhouse? Email me, Rick at the RickSmithShow.com. I want to hear what you think. Back after this. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So as we see states across the country continuing to move, well, I shouldn't say, I should say red states. As we see a lot of Republican states moving to loosen child labor laws. Because, hey, we can't get an immigration bill passed. Uh, We can't fix our immigration system. And we need cheap labor. So why not go get those poor kids? Put those poor kids in the, get them to work. You know, because the, the view is they're not getting an education anyway. Put them into the fields. Get them into the, into the meatpacking plants. Get them out there chopping wood. It'll do them some good. Uh, but the question is, is, can we keep them safe? Can we ensure that uh, if you're going to put these 14-year-olds on an industrial farm like they want to do in Indiana, can we keep these kids safe? Uh, that's a question that I have for my next guest, who was the former acting assistant secretary and de- deputy assistant secretary of labor for OSHA during the Obama administration. The guy I think is the perfect person to answer this question also does an incredible newsletter on workplace safety and labor issues. Uh, confined space. You can find that at jordanbarab.com slash confined space. Uh, Jordan Barab, thanks for taking time for us. Great to be here, Rick. Thanks for inviting me. So let me ask you. Um, you know, we're seeing this movement across a lot of red states uh, to, to loosen restrictions, to lengthen hours, to do all kinds of stuff, to get kids. We've got to get them in the workforce. Is there a way that we can keep them safe, given the fact that we, we, we can barely keep uh, adult workers safe in the workplace? Yeah, well, the answer to that, as you indicate, is, is pretty much no. Uh, as you As you say, we have a hard enough time keeping adult workers safe. Um, you know, keeping safe in the workplace is, is a function of a couple of things. I mean, one is um, 
OSHA's effectiveness. And, you know, we know that OSHA is a very small agency, very underfunded and can rarely get to any given workplace, um, especially, you know, late at night when, when most of these kids are working. Um, but the second thing it is, is, is workplace safety is also a function of, of worker power. In other words, how much, how much, you know, how safe do workers feel in the workplace, uh, standing up to their right to a safe workplace? How knowledgeable are they about the hazards? Um, and that's very difficult for even adult workers, especially if they're not in unions, but for kids they are pretty defenseless. Those are about, you know, young kids, especially young kids, you know, some of these young kids actually, you know, really need the money. They're in kind of desperate straits. Um, these are about the most vulnerable, you know, workers, quote unquote, you know, you can find out there and are very unlikely to even understand what's dangerous, much less to be able to stand up to employers at the risk of losing their jobs or in some cases even getting deported um, if they, uh, you know, if they try to stand up for their health and safety rights and, and, and make sure their workplace is safe. That is an excellent point because, you know, most adult workers, one, don't know what their rights are and two, uh, don't don't speak up for themselves. So how do you expect a 14 year old child to be able to, to stick up for themselves and not do something? Because, you know, I would think that they they would believe that the adult in charge of them, uh, their boss would have their interests somewhat at heart. And we know that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, go up on the roof. It's, it's perfectly safe. Just be careful up there. Just don't fall. You know, don't have, yeah. Don't fall. Yeah. And be careful and, and make, you know, clean out this dangerous machinery. And uh, don't worry about the fact that we actually haven't disconnected it, you know, and if it starts up, you know, you're in trouble, but just, just trust us. Um, and we all know, you know, for especially the, especially employers who stoop low enough to hire kids are not particularly interested in ensuring their safety. They're, they're more interested in, in making an easy buck by cutting corners on safety and health. But this is, again, I, I come back to this, this moment of where are we as a country when this is what we're doing? I mean, we were just in, in, in Costa Rica the other uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for the holiday. And, um, you know, the guy who gave us a tour was so proud of the fact that uh, their kids, you know, got free education as far as their ability could take them, that their kids weren't working in the banana fields or weren't doing, you know, the kind of hard labor that they were doing just, uh, you know, several years ago. He was He was proud of the fact that they were taking children out of work. And here we are. Um, you know, the, the most powerful country in the world, the wealthiest country in the history of civilization at its wealthiest moments. And yet, yet we're putting our kids back into these situations. What kind of an upside down world are we in? Yeah, I mean, and, and there's there's two sides to that. One is, you know, our, our, our government institutions that are that are designated have the authority to prevent this are terribly underfunded. In fact, the Republicans are trying to significantly cut uh, the budget of the wage and hour division, which is an already a very small, uh, you know, department at the uh, office in the Department of Labor that's supposed to enforce this. So you've got that going on. At the same time, unbelievably, instead of the states all getting in there and trying to see if they can rein in child labor um, that's existing there, um, you know, there a bunch of states. There are at least 16 states that are actually trying to make it easier uh, for kids to work and easier for an employer to hire kids and to work longer hours and most more dangerous jobs. So you've got a bunch of states, and as you indicated, the red states heading in exactly the wrong direction. And, and you know, this is like the 21st century. So what are we doing in the 21st century, you know, talking about uh, a growing problem of child labor? It's crazy. Now, look, I'm not against kids working. I'm not against my kids working. There are jobs that they should do to learn what it means to earn a dollar and what it means to show up on time and, and do all those things, uh, those work, working class ethic things that, that, that people need. But... 
Um, that's above and beyond what they need to be doing in their schooling and their development. Uh, that that's that's not. That's not working in a factory. That's not, you know, working in the in, in industrial farming. That's not working in meatpacking plants. That's not working in jobs where their life could be severely altered because of who knows what reason. This this seems to me the, the wrong direction as a country, and and I I don't know how to stop it. Yeah, I mean, we you know we saw at least four kids like. 18 and under, um, some of them 16, getting killed in workplaces just last summer. Um, who know, you know, we really don't know how many kids are getting injured in the workplace because, you know, there's nobody really keeping track of that if the employer chooses to hide it. Um, but, you know, just even just getting hurt or killed in the workplace isn't, isn't the only thing. Obviously, those are the worst things. But, but the fact that, you know, kids are now being allowed to work more and more hours, um, you know, and, and they're basically they're going to school exhausted if they even go to school at all. I mean, you know, they're maybe dropping out. Um, you know, that has a major impact also on, on their development at a very at a very important stage in their life. What do you say to the person, Jordan, who goes, well, you know what? Hey, they're already doing it. Um, you know, the kids are already dropping out of school. The kids are already working under the table. This by by opening this up, we're just going to bring them out of the shadows. We're just we're going to be able to regulate it, Jordan. We're going to be able to see what's going on. We're going to be able to track it better. Yeah, well, unfortunately, again, some of the states are going the other direction. I mean, even if just tracking it was the answer, even if we had the resources to really track uh, and oversee that, um, you know, some states are going in the opposite direction. I mean, Arkansas, for example, passed a law saying the kids don't even have to register. You used to have to register if you were a kid. And what that does is it makes it impossible when the wage and hour, when the federal wage and hour division goes in and tries to investigate these cases, it's impossible to find these kids because nobody's registered anymore. It's just kind of a, you know, crazy laissez-faire, you know, do whatever you want to do kind of situation. Yeah. Again, kind of hearkening back more to the 19th century than to the 21st century. And we know whose kids we're talking about. We're not talking about my kids or your kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, poverty-ridden kids. We're talking about people of color. We're talking about uh, immigrants. We're talking about, well, we're talking about poor, we're talking about poor people. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of these, you know, I mean, and again, as you, as you indicate, there are a lot of immigrant kids that are that have come over here and, you know, need the money to live um, and they need the money. They're trying to get money to send back to their, uh, you know, to their families, wherever they came from. And so these are kids, and again, in particular, these are particularly vulnerable kids in very dangerous and vulnerable situations. And again, just, uh, you know, you couldn't find a more exploitable, you know, group of people than, than uh, uh, immigrant kids who are, are trying to make a, make a buck. So just so I'm clear on this, is, is there any way that you see that, there's any positive in this because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm going, okay, you you're, Indiana wants, like I said earlier, Indiana wants to, uh, to let 14 year olds work in industrial farms. And there are some who argue they're already doing it. Is there any way that by, by opening this up uh, and, you know, we can regulate, monitor, pay attention, maybe on the federal, is there anything on the federal level we can do in these states that are doing this? Well, I mean, there are federal laws. I mean, some of the states are passing laws that actually, um, you know, would violate the federal laws, and they're just kind of challenging the, the you know, the feds to enforce it, or maybe hoping it'll be taken to court, and and uh, you know, the, the federal government will lose in court, given you know the, the number of courts around the country that are uh, now controlled by Trump appointees. So there, you know, there's that hope that they can, you know, and 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 it's not just you know, it's not just random politicians. These, you know, what what we're finding now is that these, you know, states that are passing laws to uh, loosen up child uh, labor. Uh, controls are, are, you know, they're being, they're being, um, you know, 
they're, they're, they're behind all of that are these right-wing think tanks also that are really pushing this in the states. So again, it's not just kind of kind of random legislators. It's actually a concerted effort um, from you know conservative business interests to expand uh, the use of child labor. Um, and the only way you're going to fight this is a to pass better laws, um, b to you know have much higher penalties. Right now, the penalty is only like sixteen thousand dollars a kid or something like that. Ridiculous. There's been legislation to to um, significantly increase that. Um, no Republicans, you know, tend to sign on to that. Um, you know, and third thing is, you, you know, you, we have a, an office in the uh, Department of Labor whose job it is to enforce this, but it's 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 incredibly small. They have very few inspectors. And again, the Republicans in Congress are trying to significantly cut, um, you know, their that 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 department's uh, budget. So you you know, again, uh, Republicans are not only taking us in the exact wrong direction in the states, they're taking us in the exact wrong direction in in Congress as well. Surprise, surprise. And who's mm -hmm. going to suffer? It's going to be our children. Sad yeah, stuff yeah. here. But Jordan, I appreciate you taking some time sharing your thoughts. I hope folks will check out uh, the newsletter and the work that you do over at jordanbarab.com slash confined spaces. Uh, a must read for working people to keep up to date what's going on in the workplace. Jordan, I appreciate the time. All right. You're welcome, Rick. And thanks for inviting me again. Thanks so much. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. We're going to take a quick break. I'll right back. Stick around. This is The Rick Smith Show. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. You know, it's interesting, it's interesting that Jordan brought up the right-wing think tanks, the moneyed interest behind all of this stuff. Understand, if there wasn't money to be made in this, the kids... You know, look, they don't they don't matter. The policy stuff that you know, that doesn't matter for the people that it, that that it's happening to. They don't care about your children. They don't care about your community. They care about the dollars and cents. They care about the moneyed interests. And these are the people pushing this stuff. These think tanks, uh, these well-funded, billionaire-funded think tanks, this network of 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 bad idea think tanks, the the these places where they pay huge salaries to people to dream up bad ideas to impose on the rest of us so that they can make more money. Yeah, these are the people pushing this. The very same people who are pushing the destruction of public education. This is also part of this. You know, making it enticing. You know, telling a kid, a 14-year-old, telling a 14-year-old, you don't have to go to school. Ah, eh, don't worry about it. You don't have to go to school. You can drop out. You can get a job at the, go work down at the farm. That'll be fun, won't it? You can make your own money. You can tell those parents, go pound sand. 
You want to talk about destroying the family? You want to talk about destroying the fabric of this country? You want to talk about destroying... <laughs> oh, they figured out a way to destroy public education because understand, they want to keep a desperation class of people so that they can exploit and abuse and use whenever they want and to have around to scare the you know what out of out of the the middle the middle segment of of the working class that's what this is about and look they do a masterful job what other reason could you possibly come up with to say no no go ahead drop out of school go work in the farm during the day now, you know, we know that the homeschool crowd, which again, as I say all the time, homeschooling is child abuse, should be outlawed, should be eliminated, should not be allowed. Look, you know, most of the people who I know who homeschool, they barely got out of high school themselves. I want them teaching the next next generation of kids? No. Um no. Uh but you know, here here you here again. This is another way to get around you know, those, 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 those labor restrictions. Well, we're homeschooling. We're teaching our children the, the value of work. Crazy, crazy stuff. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. For our folks watching on Free Speech TV, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time. For our radio audience, we're going to take a quick break. Back with more after this. Make sure you check out the website, therickmithshow.com, for more on all of our programming. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Mm-hmm. 
So our quote of the day comes from former Wyoming representative Liz Cheney. And look, I give Liz Cheney credit for doing what she did as a representative, for standing up against Trump and against all of the insurrectionists and standing up for what happened uh, and, and, and calling out what happened on January 6th. I give her credit for that. Credit where it is due. Same thing with Adam Kinzinger and, and others who had the courage to step forward and speak out. But I got I to gotta be honest, this quote has me thinking. Uh, she was on The View, and she says that, uh, I think that the Republican Party itself is clearly so caught up in the cult of personality uh, that it's very hard to imagine that the party can survive. She said, I think it's increasingly clear uh, that once we get through 2024, we're going to have to have something else, something new. She said, I believe the country has to have a party that's based on conservative principles and values where we can engage with the Democrats on substance and on policy. And I think uh, post-2024 election, we're going to see a huge tectonic shift in our politics. I don't know. Because here's the thing. Uh, Donald Trump is not... I don't believe the entire cause of, of where we are. Uh, he's the face of it. Uh, he's an awful lot of the problem. But I argue conservatism is, is, is the cancer. And I've always argued this. Extremism is, is the cancer in all of this. On, on both sides. And I'm, I'm not doing the both sides. Extremism is always the problem. But conservatism has brought us, to, especially in the economic world. And, you know, and I had this interesting conversation with someone uh, today that, you know, every time I see this person, they always, you know, they always want to blame. It's, it's always the Democrats fault. You know, no matter what, uh, everything has to be, you know, it's the Democrats did this, Democrats did that, no matter what. And, and I said, no, it's, it's always, it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, you know, Joe Biden's in office, so everything's his fault. Or, you know, hey, you know, when George Bush was in office, the Democrats controlled Congress, so it's all their fault. You know, it's, it's more complicated than that. And, and I, I made the comment that I said, you know, both times that I've been laid off, that I've lost my job or been laid off from work, there's been a Bush in the White House. And it's true. You know, back in the, in the, in the 90s when the recession uh, was going on back then during the Bush years, you know, I was laid off for a good period of time. And, and when H.W. Bush, or, that was with H.W. Bush, and when W. became president, um, you know, right, right then there was another recession that hit and boom, I was laid off for a couple, for several weeks uh, at that point. And I said, you know, that's, you know, that's not, do I blame them for doing it? No, I don't. A lot of things happened that, that, that it, it just was what it was. And this person's like, no, no, it's your Democrats. And, and we get into this red hat, blue hat thing. And I said, that's not the argument. Uh, and that's not where you should be, be 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 looking at. It's the policies. So when I hear Liz Cheney say, you know, we got to get back to conservative principles, and I go, no, no, that's what got us into this mess. The reason we have a, a working class in this country that is so angry, the reason you have the, uh, the, the Trump base, and I believe this fully, 
And, I, and look, and I know I'm going to get a bunch of emails from people going, no, no, they're all racist and they're all homophobic. And look, some of them are. And I'm not going to I'm not going to disagree with that. Some, not all. Some, most of them are folks who they grew up believing that their life was going to be that their birthright was work hard, play by the rules and get ahead. That if they, they did the 40 years, there was going to be a gold watch at the end, a defined benefit pension, and a golden retirement. That they were going to be okay. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Life's been tough. They've gotten screwed over and over and over again. Corporate America has run them through the ringer. The wealth class of this country has run them through the ringer. Our political system lobbied heavily by the moneyed interests has run them through the ringer and they're angry about it and rightfully so as working people should be so when she says that you know we we have to have conservative principles and values i'm like i'm i you know most of the last 50 years the destruction of of the working class and the desperation and the and the problems that have been created have been because of conservative principles and values the fact that we've destroyed unions, the fact that we've we've had limited government because you go, well, what is conservative, Rick? What is conservatism in America? And what we're told. And if you ask a, a conservative, someone who identifies as a conservative, they're going to say, you know, they believe in limited government. They want states rights, uh, local control un until they don't. Now, again, this is what they say, not what they do. And that's that's a lot of this stuff. Uh, there's an, 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 an you know individual freedom, and and they talk about responsibility a lot in their ideology, not in their actions. And this is again my problem with a lot of this stuff. It's a lot of words. It's <laughs> not a lot of actions. They believe in capitalism, free market capitalism. Let the market decide. Except we keep bailing out corporations who make bad decisions. They're against regulation, so we're going to deregulate. And what happens? That crushes the little guy. And and I keep coming back to these these moments where you go. Now again, you know, <laughs> they tell us they believe in limited government, uh, low taxes for rich people. Uh, they believe in fiscal responsibility, and and I've yet to see that. I guess I have seen it. Uh, when when children are hungry, yeah, we, we make them pull themselves up by the bootstraps. When corporate America needs a bailout, my check can't be big enough. And this is my problem with all of this stuff. And, and it's been learned behavior over decades. We've created an environment where it's 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 socialism for the rich and it's cutthroat capitalism for the rich, for the for the poor and especially the working poor. So do I want those conservative principles that have gotten us into the mess that we're in now? That has told us, you know, you're, you're an individual. You're on your own. The one with the most toys when they die wins. Do I want to return to that kind of a, a scenario? Or do I want to go back to where my grandparents' generation understood when they came back from World War II and fought fascism overseas and came back home and built the most prosperous working class in the history of, of humanity? And how did they do it? They did it through community. They did it through government. They did it through through looking at their neighbor, even if they didn't like their neighbor, and going, hey, uh, let's build something. 
Let's unionize the workplace. Let's make sure our government invests in roads and bridges and education and health care and stuff that we need. And what we have now, and this is, this is the amazing part of all this, we've got people who are saying, no, no, we can't use government to do any of those things. We've got to restrain government. You actually had a guy who said, no, no, I want government so small we can drown in the bathtub. And you got Liz Cheney, again, going back to, we want to go back to these, these conservative principles. Now, back to my friend. You know, I said, look, you know, when, because he, he brought, well, you know, I, I, got, I got laid off when, you know, when Obama became president. And I said, yeah, well, why did you become, why did, why did that happen? Well, he became president. No, you didn't get laid off because he became president. You got laid off because the economy collapsed under George W. Bush. And the reason the economy collapsed under George W. Bush was because during the Clinton years, you had Gingrich and, 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 and Phil Graham and, and a whole bunch of other, you know, corporatists who pushed through Graham-Leach-Bliley and undid Glass-Steagall. And Clinton signed it because, hey, you know, we're, you know we're, 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 we're bipartisan now and took the dividing wall between uh, boring banking and gambling banking. We just threw it all together. And surprise, 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 what happened? The greed monsters on Wall Street. It only took them eight years to do, man. only took them eight years to bring the country to its knees. And what did we do? We went we bailed them out. We didn't bail out the guy who got on, my buddy who got unemployed. No, no. We didn't bail out the homeowners who lost their homes. No, no. We didn't do any of that. We didn't throw a, lot of, a bunch of people in jail who... Uh, who who came up with these schemes? No, we didn't do any of that stuff. We were gonna go after the people who who signed the 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 faulty mortgages or whatever it was that they were doing. They had no idea what they were doing. They were just dupes who were paid fifteen bucks an hour just to scribble out a paper. They didn't even know why. That's who we we're gonna go after. And this is what we do in this country. So when I hear we're gonna go after and we're gonna conservative principles i'm going please no no i can't take much more what we need we need a revival of community and i say all the time if we want to we want to reunite this country we want to revive it we need to reunionize it and not just in the workplace in society as a whole we need to to re-engage each other and accept each other this is the other part of this i might not like you but I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to I'm going to fight for your rights. We used to be that country. We're not so much. And in you know, in my interview the other day with Joe Walsh, I, I I brought up. I said, look, I used to have a lot of conservative friends that I used to you know joust with. You know, we used to have you know political arguments all the time, and I love doing that because one, it's fun. Two, sharpens your skills. Uh, makes makes you think, uh, makes you think maybe a little bit differently, and and makes your argument stronger because you have to actually defend it. You can't just spew. You actually have to understand why you you think the way you do. So I like that. The problem is, is we most of those people left. They don't want to do that anymore, because we want to live in our silos. We want the confirmation bias. I believe I'm right because it's tested. I believe I'm right because I understand that good, sound policy 
Smart investment helps people. And when you help people, there's an opportunity for lives to get better. And I look at my own. Our government invested a lot of money in me. You know, first when I was born. You know, then, you know, food stamps to, to put you know, put food on our table and housing assistance to keep a roof over our head when my mother lost her job. A death benefit when my mother passed away so that my grandparents could take it, take care of me. When I was when I was 11, I almost died, you know, because I had an asthma attack. We didn't have health insurance. Government paid for that. And for that, I pay, a, I pay a lot of taxes. That's how the system is supposed to work. Now, the, the problem is, if I were conservative, I would say, no, no, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I, me, oh, I alone did it. No help from anybody else, didn't know. And I don't want to pay any taxes. I don't want to. I don't want to fund anyone else. I'm gonna. I'm gonna not just kick the ladder off the side of the building. I'm going to. I'm gonna put the ladder through a chipper. There will be no ladder left. That's conservatism, in my view. Now, look. I've I've had friends who are saying, "No, no, Rick, you don't understand. It's about personal responsibility. It's about you know doing doing for yourself." And I go, yeah, well, if you believed that, you would have been in favor of the Affordable Care Act because there was a personal responsibility component to that that Donald Trump did away with. You remember the individual mandate that everyone was losing their freaking minds over? That was actually part... Understand, the Affordable Care Act was in part, well, mostly, the Heritage Foundation's plan uh, to, to Hillary and the Hillary Care of the 90s. That was a conservative plan, sort of. Only it was meant to be more universal. But we can't talk like that. Because that helps people. So when I, I listen to Liz Cheney, I, I don't I'm concerned about what the future is. Look, right now we have to save democracy. So if the Liz Cheney's of the world and even the Joe Walsh's of the world are on board to uh, to keep Donald Trump out of the White House, I'm all in favor. But I got to tell you, I am concerned about what they what they view their future, what they view their future as. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, Rick at the ricksmithshow.com. Gonna take a quick break. Right back after this, stick around. You're listening to the Rick Smith Show. We're working people. Come to talk. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1932. A very unusual army marched on Washington, D.C. Pro-labor Catholic priest Father James Renshaw Cox led the march. Father Cox had worked as a cab driver and steel worker before attending seminary and serving as a chaplain in World War I. After the war, as a pastor in Pittsburgh, he organized food assistance for those hit hard by the Great Depression. As the number of unemployed grew, Father Cox came up with a new plan to help the suffering in his city. He organized Cox's army. 25,000 Pennsylvanians who had lost their job due to the Great Depression. Cox led them from Pennsylvania to the nation's capital to demand a works program. Cox led them from Pennsylvania to the nation's capital to demand a public works program to put people back to work. 
The protest was the largest in Washington, D.C. up until that time. It was considered a great embarrassment to Republican President Herbert Hoover. Yet the president still did not move to provide government assistance. Such inaction helped to usher in the era of Democrat Franklin Delano Roosevelt's presidency, whose New Deal policies included public jobs programs. The protest also spawned a popular saying for women of that day. According to the Associated Press, the men of Cox's army ate 2,500 pounds of sauerkraut, 1,500 pounds of hot dogs, 11,000 apples, 650 gallons of soup, 450 loaves of bread, and 1,600 dozen of donuts and rolls during the protest. When cooking dinner for their families, women might explain, I made just enough food to feed Cox's army. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So, some good news. A new federal program that will provide kids with um, you know, groceries over the summer. Uh, families are going to get uh, $40 per child in additional funding to be able to put food on the table. Uh, it's going to help some 21 million children across 35 states. And again, this is one of those things I remember from when I was a kid. When I was a kid growing up in the projects on the west side of Cleveland, um, you know, back in the in the seventies, uh, you would go to the the local elementary school. Puritas Elementary is where we went. Um, but you know, across the country, this this is what happened during the summer, and they would have a hot lunch, and you know, wasn't much. You know, a little tin of beans and wieners or grilled cheese sandwich or something. Uh, but for many of the kids that were there, it was the only hot lunch, the only hot meal they got that day. Uh, so it was it was vital for 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 the community, and. What we know is a lot of kids, you know, today, uh, you know, they get fed at school, they get breakfast, they get lunch at school, and that is fabulous. But when summertime comes around, there's nothing. Uh, so the administration is is moving to ensure that uh, the kids in these 35 states uh, have access and families have access to a little bit of extra revenue to be able to put some put some food on the table. And you know, not surprising, uh, the other the states not not taking the money are going to be your red states, um, you know your your Alabamas, your your Floridas, your Georgias, your Mississippis, your South Carolinas, your your, your South Dakotas. Of course, your your the states that are going to and you know we don't care so much about the the children. Uh, but here's the thing, and this is the this is the part that get get me, and this is the part that's really frustrating to me. These programs are, are to help help those those kids in, in different states. And yet this has become a political issue. Feeding children has somehow become a political issue, which is bizarre and angering and frustrating and a whole bunch of stuff. But again, to me, it shows the difference between the red hats, the blue hats, between conservatives and, and liberals, however you want to put, and, and the people who are running this stuff. Uh, I... I don't know why you would choose, and I, again, it's a small government. 
Uh, I don't know why you would choose not to accept funding that would go to help children, hungry children. But then again, look, you know, we we saw Republicans, every Republican and uh, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin vote against extending the child tax credit. And then when that happened, child poverty doubled, more than doubled. So are we surprised? The answer is no. Uh, and, and and what's what's angering to me, and, and I, I keep coming back to, I keep coming back to this. Uh, good policy, smart investment, makes lives better. Makes the future better, not just for, for the people getting those services, but for all of us. Had you not made those investments in me years ago, I wouldn't have been the I'm not, I wouldn't be the productive citizens that I that I am today. Wouldn't be paying the taxes that I am today. So, do we as a society want a future of people who are making our country better, making our citizens, our, our society better, making our, our our cities better, our towns better, or do we want to do we want a society of people who are a drain on it? That's the frustration that I have in all of this. Let's quick go to the, a couple of emails before we, we wrap things up. Um, Don sends me an email, says, Rick, I've enjoyed the show on Free Speech TV for years, and I'm really glad that you are now daily. I would, however, disagree with you on beating the former guy only at the polls. Uh, the reason for this is that in many states, voters are being kicked off the rolls for no legal reason. Also, even in states that aren't removing voters, they are making it very difficult for people to vote. Uh, if voting was fair and easy in all 50 states, then I would agree with you. But since it's not, I can't. You offer a different view and many stories I would never be able to see. So keep up the great work. I appreciate that, Don. Thank you so much. Now, look, uh, I, I, I'm right there with you. I completely agree with you that um, look, there are states like Georgia that are purging people like Florida that are throwing people off the rolls. Uh, there are states across the red states across this country that are putting obstacles in the way of people voting. I fully understand that. My problem is, is that of, of a, a, of a strategist. Uh, I don't believe that the Supreme court is going to ultimately allow him to be held off the, off the ballot. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Now, in talking with Joe Walsh, he did bring up a good point. He said, look, it's our system. We have to go through our system. Our system will work itself out. We should be all in favor of that. And, and that makes it, it's a good point. Uh, it is our system. Our system will, we should be happy that it's, it's happening. We should be, you know, we should be, uh, in, you know, okay with it. As, as, as a strategist, though, uh, continually giving Trump the, the victim card, and believing that it's the outcome is is not going to go the way we we hope it does by keeping him off the ballot is is where my mind generally is um, by making him a martyr that's where my concern is and and I don't think that you can put Trumpism down without him being soundly beaten at the polls and that means we've got to do the hard work of of getting Joe Biden elected we've got to do the hard work of going out and saying you know no we're not we're not going to have uh, Donald Trump in the White House. Just not going to happen. And for me, that's that's the way forward. Um, so I agree with you. We, we've got to do much more in states um, that that are, are, are pulling the shenanigans, which is why 
Democrats need to take the House and the Senate and keep the White House, and we need to pass another voting rights bill uh, to ensure that everyone across this country has access to that ballot box. Because this whole wonderful experiment of self-governance does not work without that ballot box being accessible to everyone. Uh, also, Tanya writes, Rick, love you, never miss a show. My father worked in the steel mills in Chicago in the 1960s and 70s, and we had an amazing life. Those jobs afforded us the American dream that you saw on TV. Uh, it's so sad to see everything that generation built being sold off to the highest bidder. How do we change things back to the way they were when I was a kid? Uh, when you When work was rewarded and people respected each other. Well, I got to tell you, Tanya, that's a that's a big that's a tall order. I don't think we ever go back. I want us to go forward to a place where uh, work is rewarded, and I think we can. And I think Joe Biden is 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 moving us in that direction. Slower than I would I would hope, but uh, you know, change is is slow and sometimes painful. I do I do hope that we continue down the path that we're we're currently moving towards. Uh, reshoring some manufacturing, giving workers the right to collectively bargain, uh, having government encourage people to to reun to unionize, so that we can we can redistribute wealth back to the way it was when 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 your father was was working, uh, when those those CEOs were making twenty times that of the average worker instead of three or four hundred times, when it was the the wealth, the wealthy and the corporations who are paying taxes instead of the fast food worker and the bus driver. That one income could support a family instead of, well, putting kids back into the into the into the into the into the workforce so that we could keep a roof over our head. There are so many things that we could, should and must be doing. But it comes back down to politics. And this you know goes back to what my my high school government teacher always said. Politics is about who gets what. Government is about who gets what. And politics is how we decide it. So we have to engage. We have to, we have to get out and, and get people elected. We have to get out and, well, do the hard work. Talking to friends, talking to neighbors, getting people out to vote, and voting ourselves. And when that obstacle is in the way, when the barrier is in front of us, we got to get over it. We got to get around it. We got to go under it. We got to go through it. And this is this is where community comes in. This is where we have to do this together. Because look, the only way this country moves forward is if all of us are in. The only way we get through this this moment in history is if all of us come together. And that means reaching out like it or not, that means reaching out to some of those folks that we, we may not like very much. That means reaching out and, and, and finding that common ground. I know it's tough, but I also know we can do it. I want to hear your thoughts. Email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. I do answer all emails personally. Eventually been getting slammed here the last couple of days. Uh, a lot of people not not too thrilled with my my interview with Joe Walsh. I, I wonder why. Uh, but by all means, email me, rick at the ricksmithshow.com. If you miss any portion of the program, you can download the podcast. Wherever you get your favorite podcast, you'll find ours. 
Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick at rick at thericksmithshow.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.